Loudspeaker Studios. Keith Garcia, Artistic Director of the Sea Film Center and Director of the Dragumentary, The Heels Have Eyes. You're listening to Talkin' Trauma with Zach Bynes. Welcome to the show! Tromaville, and welcome to episode nine of Talkin' Troma with your host, me, Zach Bynes. The show where me and a special guest will sashay away by watching a trauma film and then pair it with a non-trauma title for a fantasy double feature. But first, let me introduce my guest. He is a filmmaker, film programmer at the C Film Center in Denver, Colorado, and film historian Keith Garcia. Keith, it's nice to have you on the show. It's so good to be on your show. Thank you so much for having me. Before we get into the the title, in Colorado, you program a lot of stuff. At I I remember you programming back at the Stars Film Center, um, way back when, and then at the Alamo Draft House, and now at the C Film Center, amongst other places. And I've always appreciated the the thought and care that you put into not only showing the movies but informing the audience what they're watching and why it's important. So when I was coming up with a list of people I wanted to talk to about just movies in general on the show, you were on my short list of like, I need to have you in the first 10 episodes. So. <laughs> well, I always appreciate, uh, they're my favorite things to really do is, is talk about movies. So. When did you first, cause I don't know this. When did you first start like getting an interest in movies? Um, I mean, my family jokes that my mom watched horror movies while she was pregnant with me. She has a particular story about her watching The Exorcist, and I was kicking wildly uh, while, while uh, she was pregnant with me. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't, it's just always been part of my fabric as a, as a kid. Um, we were a video store and an HBO household, so... If it wasn't on the TV, every Friday we got to go pick out movies, and we didn't have a uh, an age restriction on our nice. on our membership at uh, All American Video. So uh, I always used to roam the really cool horror aisle, which in gosh, when would I? This have been peak. I guess this would have been the '80s, probably like '85 or so. Um, that video store used to sit on um, Alameda and Federal here in Colorado. Awesome. Um, it the horror section was just full of like amazing posters of the video art, which of course by 1985 we know was like amazing. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, so that section just always trapped me. Just always got got their hooks in me, and uh, I was constantly watching, bringing home stuff that. So, I mean, my parents didn't care, ultimately, was what it was. And it wasn't for lack of caring in general. It was just like, well, Keith seems to like horror, and and my mom likes horror. So it was just kind of like, oh, you know, he bought <laughs> another spooky movie home. And and I just seemed, I seemed to understand everything without needing, like, a big 
explanation of like, you know, this is fake or, you know, like you shouldn't be watching boobies or <laughs> whatever. It was just, it just was what it was. And I think to me, that was the best way to come into movies because I just, I didn't give me a sense of limitation. I mean, obviously the adult section with porno was off limits, but yeah, uh, you know, it, that didn't necessarily interest me as a kid anyway. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. Like one of my really early video store memories was I saw the cover for Dolly Dearest in the store and mm-hmm. that freaked me out. And then I was like, I need to see that one. And then I saw the Rocky horror cover and I was, but I could never understood why I was in the comedy section. So I'm like those. And so always in my head, I was like, I need to see those two movies they made and Carnosaur, like those, like, oh, yeah. those, like had a big impression on, on the video store shelf. Then later they, the mom and pop store turned into a Hollywood video and I ended up working at like technically my childhood video store forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All that stuff was really awesome. And, and like I, you know, the, the love of horror and video stores, uh, the easiest connection off to that was that I had a subscription to Fangora and it was, it just rolled from there. It was just like my, my teen years, my youth and teen years were spent very horror heavy. And I like that. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Growing up a monster kid was a lot of fun. <laughs> so, so back in the video store days, do you remember ever seeing trauma titles there? Or what was your first intro- introduction into trauma movies? Um, you know, I remember seeing the video covers and not always wanting to rent them. And some part of that just seemed like I mean, if you remember the covers for Toxic Avenger and like Surf Nazis Must Die, it they, it appears a lot is going on in these films. And I remember as a kid being like, I don't know what's going on here. Like Surf Nazis Must Die, you know, there's the, the Nazi on the surfboard with the chainsaw coming out and like the woman who's like about to be chainsawed <laughs> underneath the wave. Um, and I just remember thinking like, that looks unpleasant. Like that looks like that's not... <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. What, who am I? Who are the heroes? What is the? What is going on here? Um, so it took me a while to get to those films. I probably didn't start really watching Trauma until my like, until I was probably like thirteen or fourteen when I started to be like, okay, let's move out of uh, slasherdom, which is really the the field that I I I grabbed onto. Was yeah, Halloween and Jason and Freddy and. Leatherface and anything that was a slasher was my like my cup of tea. And then everything else that had a more interesting story, which I mean, uh, let's face it, like trauma movies have a more interesting story. It's not just about like here's a thing and the people are going to die. And there's always some there's a hero and some kind of weird weird thing, and then like really inappropriate comedy and yeah, uh, extreme gore that is I wouldn't even call it gore, just extreme special effects that are uh, over the top and, you know, Lloyd Kaufman being his own character and just all that stuff was just very um, intriguing as I got older. And things like, you know, the Toxic Avenger cartoon came out and where I was just like, well, I got to connect these dots. (laughs) Like, how is there a Toxic Avenger cartoon already? Like, let me see what this is about. And, you know, it all worked out. But yeah, it was probably the, the teen years is when I really started to discover Trauma. And I may have even caught a couple. I believe that trauma movies played on HBO every so often. 
Um, at least Toxic, Toxic Avenger did. And so um, I think I remember seeing that. I mean, very like, not that I wasn't impressed, but just like, oh, okay, that's not at all what I thought that was going to be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's kind of gross, but okay. Like, <laughs> let's see what's going on. Oh, and now there's like three of these Toxic Avenger movies. <laughs> oh, just kind of growing from there. Flash forward a bit. That's actually how I met you was because you programmed Poultry Geist at the Stars Film Center, and you were kind enough to play my movie, The Misled Romance of Cannibal Girl and Incest Boy, before the mm-hmm. film. I sure did. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and that was, uh, you know, programming films during that time. Um, trauma had really kind of started. They were on their second peak uh, of stuff. I believe it was like Poultry Geist and then maybe like Toxic Winter 4 was getting ready to come out and um, Tremio and Juliet and, and, and those various films that, um, you know, as a film programmer with an eye towards horror or at least just, you know, unique genre, um, I was like, all right, we'll do this. This seems like, like a good, uh, like a good, uh, a good time. And I had previously, if we really, is that uh, fresh out of college, I got a job at the Mayan. So I got a job at the Mayan theater, first as floor staff, and then eventually moved my way up to running the whole theater very quickly. And this is like 1996 is when I started at the Mayan. And uh, I was put in charge of the midnight programming there, which it it had started before me as a a two different... um, series that they did only in the summertime one was called the terror train which was just horror films and then one was called the orient express which was hong kong action films and i just was like okay cool we'll do that and i just intertwined them in the same summer and we had such a great explosive summer of just like hits like people coming like it would be one film downstairs one film upstairs and then the next night we'd swap the houses so that one was in the big house. They were each in the big house at different times. Um, but every like Friday and Saturday nights were just full of people coming to these midnight movies. And it was such a fun series to program. And then in between, I decided to sort of start my own midnight programming that wasn't just in the summer. It was like, oh, we could do this every weekend if we really wanted to. So we just kind of took the basic, like, you know, midnight madness or midnight whatever, um, and then just programmed various stuff. And at one point we got contacted um, by Troma. I believe Sergeant Kabuki Man may have just been coming out, but they wanted to do a whole like Troma thing, a whole month of Troma. And Lloyd came out and they had people dresses Toxie and Sergeant Kabuki Man nice. and all sorts of stuff. So that was my first like real experience with the trauma crowd, like people who loved those movies and with Lloyd experiencing Lloyd and 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 just everything. So uh, that was that was my first uh, my first visit to Tromaville was uh, via my time at the Mayan there, which was till two thousand one, and then. I programmed a theater, ran and programmed a theater in Austin, Texas called the Doby. Also had a Lloyd visit during that time. I think that was with, with Toxic Vendor 4. That would have been early 2000s. Then back over to the Stars Film Center. 
and uh, starting to do stuff there. And then that's when Poultrygeist and that next little wave of, of films came. And, and the rest is history. And I, I like some of the stuff you're programming now at the C Film Center. You have a few different film programs like uh, Cinema Q. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk a little bit about? Yeah, Cinema Q um, is a program that I founded in like 2006. Uh, you know, as a queer man myself, I I loved gay film, but there was always a, a notion of, especially as a programmer, uh, wanting to play it all the time and not really feeling that it wasn't that there wasn't an audience for it. It was just like there hadn't been a slot for it. And so in 2006, um, we were working with the center who puts on Pride Fest here every year. And they had asked queer film series uh, for Pride Fest to garner interest in Pride Fest. And so I just kind of looked around at new queer film that was coming out and discovered that there was actually a lot and it just wasn't getting opportunities to play on screen. So I did a nice little series of like, but then there were so many other films that I had access to and that were actually, I was going to have access to in the coming months that I decided to sort of create, we called that program Cinema Q. And then I just decided, you know what? I think it's important to make sure that we have a spot for queer film all the time. So I made a promise that we would play a queer film every month from there on out. And so Cinema Q became a monthly program with these new films, occasionally a classic queer film. Um, and we did that for about two years before we're like, you know what, we actually should stick on the role of, of new queer film and actually build a film festival around that. And so um, we did that. And now Cinema Q is coming back uh, this August for its 13th year awesome. um, as a festival. It's got two more years on top of that as a program. So yeah, 15 years of, of uh, providing a place and a home for, for queer film in Denver, um, which is something I'm very proud about. It's really awesome. And I appreciate you doing stuff like that. It's nice to see, see these movies on the big screen, like where everyone can come enjoy them. So thank you for doing yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. It's my pleasure. So, and not only do you program films, but you also are working on a documentary. You got to tell everybody the title because I love it. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, the horror kid in me when uh, doing a documentary about drag, um, I always lead with the title first with any film project that I envision in my head. Uh, a title and a poster is what I like to start with. And uh, yes, yeah, so this documentary, Dragumentary, titled The Heels Have Eyes, um, which really, to be honest, is just like, I can't imagine a better name for a documentary. Yeah. <laughs> And it always worries me because I've been working on this project for about 12 years and I don't, it's not finished yet. And I'm just like, at some point, someone's going to realize that name themselves and take it and do their <laughs> own film called The Hills Have Eyes. And I'm going to look like a copycat. It did get, it was used as a pun on an episode of RuPaul's Drag Race um, about a season ago. And I was very like, <gasps> Oh, no, <laughs> but then I was like, okay, but it was a laugh for people and good. That's fine. 
So. <laughs> and can you tell us a, a, bat, a bit about what your documentary is going to be about or at the moment um, what it's no, looking like? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, it started out 12 years ago as me really rediscovering my love of drag, um, a love that I discovered in high school, uh, mostly due to uh, films like uh, Priscilla, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, Tu Wong Fu, um, just the birth of RuPaul as an entity. Um, and just that was, I mean, that was also a very prescient time for me coming out uh, in high school. Um, but the idea of drag and playing with gender and performance and makeup and all this stuff, um, I had that interest back in high school and then it disappeared for a while. And then 12 years ago, I came to a show here in Denver, a drag show, and it blew me out of the water. And there was such a varied change in what drag was at this show that uh, just excited me. And I started coming to the show every week and then something sparked in me. And I was like, someone needs to be capturing this and getting to know the stories of these performers. And then I was like, well, duh, that's you, Keith. So um, I picked up a camera and started recording the shows and then it was building to getting interviews with the performers. And just through a varied amount of time <laughs> and a bunch of other things, it just has, you know, the drag world has changed immensely in these 12 years. I mean, when I started, RuPaul's Drag Race hadn't started airing yet like its very first season. And then in the midst of all that, it became this gigantic world-changing cottage industry, um, specifically about drag. Um, so the, 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 the focus of the film has changed a lot other than the main focal point is always about drag. So what the film is about and will be about is drag at its very essence. Uh, channeled through uh, an amazing group of performers that has built beyond that first original show that I saw into so many more um, from the Denver community. And though it won't focus specifically like on Denver as, as a place, um, we have such amazing talent here. Yeah. That's what the, the stars of the show are this talent that um, I definitely hope the world gets to fall in love with. Um, and see where you know this kind of uh this kind of project this kind of seeing this story laid out and hear them talk about why they do and why they love what they do and their trials and tribulations um i really hope uh uh makes a difference in things and and it's something that you know someone asked me they're like well don't you think that that's what everyone gets with like rupaul's drag race and I always have to point out, no, because that's a competition show. And yeah. the actual time spent getting to know people is very, very slim versus having watching them compete in a battle of sorts. Um, and so I want to take the moments where people get to know performers and really kind of like uh, make let that blossom into, into this project. So, um, you know, I've... I, I did a, a large bulk of the filming back in 2015, at least in terms of like interviews. Um, there are some updates that need to be done. Obviously we ran out of money that we had for this production a few years ago. And uh, there's, there will be a push soon to get a little bit more money to do a couple of very important interviews and aspects to, um, 
to the project to get it over the over the finish line and not, um not to jump ahead too much but i have to throw in uh this doris fish quote uh mm-hmm. from vegas in space is you can't make a feature film on a prostitute salary exactly <laughs> <laughs> that is well i am a prostitute so my salary is exactly um and you know there's always been an aspect to the film which uh i wanted to save towards when we were almost done with it um and throw some energy and some money into it as well. Um, I always imagined uh, these kind of bookends throughout the movie that are essentially uh, trailers for movies that don't exist, but utilizing our performers in all the roles. So dragging these, these trailers from all these different genres and imagining that the heels have eyes would be the first trailer so we'd have a horror trailer of some sort that uh that was just dragged up um but it's still a prospect and an aspect that i want to see come to fruition in the final project of of this and it will um but yeah it's always been a fun reconnection to my film world the love of film um with this film well i think it's a pretty good transition talking about your drag film which is one of my most anticipated movies of whenever it's (laughs) coming when you announced it as one i just can't wait to to hear that story and dive in i've i've loved drag films probably since high school as well Mm -hmm. um i've never had the opportunity but i also feel like maybe for me that might be appropriation if i did do drag but i love watching any drag well, and there's so many levels to drag. I was going to say, what is it about drag films and drag in general that has interested you? Because drag doesn't always have to be about dressing up as the opposite sex. Drag is dressing up as another persona, is creating either either pulling back your own mask to reveal something else inside of you or, um, or you know, having fun with gender play or just sort of being something else that doesn't exist in a normal plane for you. I love all that, and I love just kind of the the tongue in cheek and the campiness of it as well. Kind of the the you know the wink at the camera, but everybody's the camera that yeah. that you can <laughs> play with. It's it just I just love all those aspects of it. The just kind of the nuttiness that you can have, you know, with your character. Yeah, for sure, always seems fun. So, but yeah, I think we should dig in uh, to to the movie on hand. 1991 trauma film directed by Philip Ford, Vegas in Space. question, what will women look like in the 23rd century? Come along on a weird trip to a planet without men. Journey to Vegas in space. An 
oasis of glamour in a universe of mediocrity. An orbiting paradise plunged into chaos by a diabolical jewel heist. Tottering on its delicate orbit, the glittering resort is swept by a cosmic crime wave. Arson, theft, physical torture, tremors, gas fires, nightmares. A distress signal goes out across the cosmos. I only want to be your lover for a little while There are so many other worlds I'd like to see I know a little place called Beggars Let's make love tonight Tomorrow calls to Young men swap their sex to go undercover as go-go girls from Earth. Thrilled to a savage meteor shower. Behold, the Empress's off-world slumber party. A glittering soiree attracting queens and princesses from across the universe. Gas! But secret agents performing a traditional mid-20th century lounge act. These strange sights and more await on Vegas in Space. It's fun, it's new, it's fabulous, and far out in lifelike 2D glamorama. And color, it's a new dimension in sight and sound. You'll have to be shockproof to withstand the visual assault. You've heard about it, you've talked about it. Now see it. Vegas in space. It's a babes only world. What are we waiting for? Let's go. This is what Lloyd Kaufman says about Vegas in space in his book, All I Need to Know About Filmmaking, I Learned from the Toxic Avenger. Troma has always supported dykes and homos, and he here we present the first science fiction cross-dressing musical. This campy comedy with Flash Gordon-like special effects has a large cult following. World-renowned legendary drag icons, the late Doris Fish and Miss X, star in this glamour odyssey about an all-female pleasure planet in peril. It precedes Priscilla and Judy Newmar by oh so many years, and is more genuine. Vegas appeared in gay and lesbian festivals around the world and was a big success. The homosexual community has embraced us, and we embrace them back, whenever possible, from behind. This is Lloyd Kaufman, um, a very, very straight man. <laughs> well, I, I say that, but then I'm also like, question mark? Uh, there, there's always been a, an aspect to Lloyd that I always thought was a little, like, I'm not saying gay. Well, it, it's been queer. I think yes. that there is a queer aspect to Lloyd in whatever form that takes um that totally makes sense to how this film came about to be in the trauma catalog now i know that it's it wasn't 
produced by Troma, it was merely acquired and distributed yeah. um, through them, which, you know, when it, those are some of my favorite films in the Troma catalog. Mine too. You know, there's something to be said, of course, for everything that was homegrown in Tromaville, but, uh, you know, films like Death by Temptation and Vegas in Space as acquisitions versus... Um, being made by them always i'm like these are really interesting films and i appreciate that lloyd uh and um oh my goodness what was his brother michael uh michael hers or michael hers not brother um partner brother is partners but uh that they uh they they saw beyond um typical stuff and especially at a time when independent film was having its moment at places like Sundance, there still was this like almost underground of even more independent film that seemed to work in a way with um, underseen audiences or stories. And of course, like Death by Temptation being a black vampire tale and Vegas in Space being a queer drag epic. those were not on the radar of say Sundance or even producers who were looking to yeah. take something like that to Sundance. Um, so of course it makes sense that, um, you know, the misfit, the misfit Island of trauma sometimes <laughs> uh, was like, no, come aboard over here. We're going to, we're going to do our best to make hits out of you. And uh, I think they definitely did that. And, and Vegas in space, I think is, is one of their, their, their most shining, uh, glittery rhinestones uh, <laughs> in their in their cap. Or their girlinium in their cap. <laughs> yes, the girlinium in their cap. <laughs> yeah, it's the one of the things I I want to kind of dispel in the series of this show is um, that trauma movies aren't just Lloyd Kaufman's movies. They have that this whole wealth of films that note that unfortunately they just don't get talked about like Vegas and space. I like, like you said, I feel is one of their more important movies in their library. Um, mm-hmm. Just it captures the drag scene of San Francisco, a portion of it anyways, from, you know, 1981 through 1991, which, mm-hmm. you know, there's not a lot of those people around with us anymore. And, mm-hmm. and just not a lot of, you know, documentation of it as, as there should be. So it's awesome that they, they have the foresight to put it out. For sure. Um, And the thing with like Vegas in space that uh, I remember not thinking about it at the time. I just kind of, my first viewing of Vegas in space, uh, I was out and I was absorbing a lot of queer film, but this was, I think I probably saw it in the nineties at some point um, after I came out, but like uh, in the independent film scene, I still can't even remember exactly where I saw Vegas in space. I know I saw it on a like 16 millimeter print. So maybe it was when I was in college, it was like rented for one of our like movie nights or something like that. They used to have like access to a catalog of movies and get 16 millimeter reels in of the films and then just show them every like Tuesday or Wednesday night in the gymnasium. Um, and it was always like independent, weird, weirdo movies. Um, but I remember watching the first time, not even really acknowledging the fact that two of the performers in the movie are women. 
are cis women uh, in drag in the film. Yeah. And uh, that's something that has uh, cis women performing drag seems like a new thing recently, but it's been around for a long ass time. And uh, what rewatching it before this podcast, I was just like, oh, yeah, like this makes 100 uh, percent. It just makes perfect sense that the drag scene at the time was featuring people who were not only cis women, but trans, you know, gay men, um, whatever, but that it was that varied and that interesting. And especially over a project like Vegas in space, like, which I always love in the, when you're watching the opening credits and normally a film would say like, based on the novel by yes. blah, blah, blah. It says based on the party. <laughs> by <laughs> by Ginger Quest. I actually have a sound clip I'm going to play about from Ginger Quest talking about the original party. So, Ginger, the film contains the credit based on a party by Ginger Quest. Can you tell us about the original Vegas in Space party? Well, yes. In the early 80s, I wanted to throw a party that would encourage people to wear costumes and possibly do lip sync numbers. <laughs> So I got the idea of Las Vegas Showgirls and Outer Space and called Party Vegas in Space. Nice. Yeah, I, I love that, that a party was so inspiring. <laughs> For <laughs> That's... its theme and, and everything. Like, I can just picture everyone being like, we're going to have this party and I'm coming up with a storyline where, you know, we're going to act some of these things out <laughs> for the guests and it'll be really cool. And then, like, you have the party, and it's such a success. And everyone's like, what if we did this? What if we did this? And then someone's like, I own a camera. Oh, I know someone. My friend so-and-so slept with this dude who uh, works on the, this movie. And you know what? I have some, I have a sugar daddy who can give us $100,000 so we can make this movie. And then that's sort of, like, by hook or by crook, came together. It's... But, it's kind of fun. Um, another clip I'm going to play real quick. It's uh, Phil Ford talking about just the origins of this movie getting made with Doris Fish. In the early 1980s, I was a struggling young film student, and Doris Fish was a fabulous drag queen with a few thousand dollars in the bank and dreams of being a movie star. And she approached me with the prospect of directing her in an outer space adventure musical comedy entitled Vegas in Space. I jumped at the opportunity. Here was a vehicle with all the elements I was looking for. Glamour, laughs, and most importantly, stars. Now, we started out originally to make a short film. Doris and Miss X fashioned a script with roles tailored for them and their friends. We'd build a set, shoot some film in Doris's flat or in my basement, then raise more money for fun for and film stock, then move on to the next scene. Now, working in this unorthodox fashion, it took years to complete the film, which had grown into a full-length feature by then. Yes, we set out to make a very stupid film, and I think we succeeded. But in the end, Vegas in Space is my interpretation of Doris's vision of a drag planet, as well as a snapshot of a time long, long ago. And I always wonder, too, I know there's a good section of the movie that's in black and white. And just knowing how independent film projects go, I was like, did they run out of money for color film? So on the commentary, he doesn't say it. Look, because I thought the same exact thing, that they ran out of money. But but he uh, 
he never said that they like always a super low budget and they were it took him over eight or nine years to make this movie i could and it shows (laughs) in the good ways in good ways yeah (laughs) but it's you could you could tell it's it's like a every weekend type Mm -hmm. of shoot but yeah he never says uh that they ran out of money, but there's a scene in the movie and I love how they, they're like, Oh, the dark side of the planet is black and white. And they have like a dial to turn off the color. Yeah. To show everybody. <laughs> they're like, we have to turn the color on to keep it fabulous over in Vegas. <laughs> yep. 100%. Um, okay. So we start to break down the movie a little bit too. Uh, in rewatching, I was like, I love how the opening is very, very, very much a tribute to Barbarella. Yes. But, well, the whole movie is, in fact. But that opening, at least, uh, is up. And I was only disappointed in them not doing a recreation of Barbarella's famous striptease out of the spacesuit that was done over a flat plexiglass surface that Jane Fonda just rolled around on to look like she was in zero gravity. I was like, what a perfect time to spoof that in a movie like this. But then again, I was like, I bet you a big piece of plexiglass like that costs a lot of money. And they built all those sets. They were in uh, Doris Fish's apartment, Ginger Quest's apartment, and like Phil's basement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, I, I can't imagine in it. Every set does look about, you know, living room size. <laughs> yep. It's just perfect for a 60 millimeter Bolex. Yeah. <laughs> to roam around in. <laughs> Yeah, and I love the the look of Vegas in space. It's just like really just like can't be like Flash Gordon miniatures that they that are all like nail polish bottles and the hair and hair products. <laughs> um I also really love um the way that the spaceships actually like move in all this. Like they're on such weird fishing line or whatever that never lets them be like just straight flying they're always twisting and moving around like like whoever's driving them is drunk and uh <laughs> it's always just such a fun little thing in that movie i mean the whole movie is is such a fun fluffy delight um and yeah there's no like heavy stakes in the movie at all which is nice it's you just kind of get to have a good time with everybody exactly and and you know this is one of those things where um God, I always forget where this tagline came from. Uh, maybe it was like Priscilla, like an early trailer for Priscilla. But um, where it's like the movie, you don't have to be gay to see this movie, but it helps. <laughs> um, where And that's with Vegas in space. Like, it's not straight out of the gate. Like, hey, homo. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> we made this movie for you. It definitely is like influenced with like, hey, Homo in the back. You're going to love this movie. Everybody else, get ready for an outer space adventure. Like, nothing ties, it's nothing so exclusive to being a part of the gay community that you won't get certain things. You're just like, you. if you sign on for a movie called Vegas in Space, you're going to get exactly what you came for, whether you yeah. are gay or straight or whatever. You're like, okay, a movie about Vegas in space. All right, let's see what comes along with that. And what comes along with that is a lot of heart and soul and fantastic makeup and special effects and, and costumes. The costumes, costumes are fun. I love their spacesuits that they kind of wear at the beginning before they take beauty pills. Um, yeah. That 
it looks like something Klaus Nomi would wear if it yeah. had color. <laughs> the big triangles as a like, what purpose does this serve in, in outer space? But okay. And so they they all start out as as men on the spaceship. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're they're told to they need to go help uh, planet Clitoris in the beaver in the beaver galaxy or the beaver yeah. system, but no man is allowed to step foot on on the planet. So they have to take um, these pills that will that will uh, change their gender to female. And we'll, and one of the guys is like, I think I need two, and he explodes. Yeah, he, <laughs> like, he gets uh, so grilled out. Yep. <laughs> I also do love how they're like, well, I guess he understood that he didn't understand the dangers. <laughs> and then they they have like the Star Trek computer, except for it's just a some like another drag queen in uh in a box, like yep. her head, and she's just talking it. And they're like, oh, you could talk to us, and she's she's a pretty funny <laughs> character. Yeah, in the film. it's like the sassy talking computer. <laughs> You know, there are movies like this, though, that some people see. I mean, we can even look at, like, we can go back a few decades to something like uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space, like a movie that obviously was made for no money um, with an interesting vision that wasn't a typical Hollywood vision and for all intents and purposes, like, doesn't work, but maybe does. Um, And... I actually really kind of love those types of movies because I love I love a movie when you can see that the people making it don't give a crap that they have no money or that it's they know it's not going to look like a million dollars. But they're playing it like it is a million dollars. Exactly. And um that is in a sense too where I think I feel like if Lloyd saw anything in watching this movie it's like hey they made this movie just like they were making a trauma movie yeah like like they they took it very seriously to produce something that is not serious at all (laughs) yeah lloyd always says um he's like we may not take ourselves seriously but we take our art very seriously Mm -hmm. and i think that comes across in vegas and space and one of the things i like I really love low budget movies like this where you can see the seams, but that they're also sincere about it. Cause there is kind of, it feels like a newer thing where you have the low budget, you know, movie that, that will look at the camera every five seconds and be like, see, we're low budget and I can't handle that. This one plays it like it's the biggest blockbuster and they have all the stars and all the money exactly yeah and you know leave it to drag performers to chew the scenery and just know their lines and what they're planning on doing there's such perfect deliveries of these characters in this movie like i said that looks like well and half of it is made on paper towel rolls um is is you just you just know they just wanted to portray these various characters and they had their sass and their attitude and everything nailed down for what was going to come out of their mouths, how they were going to play these these people. And that is just part of the fun. If it had been phoned in because any of those performers were like, ugh, no one's going to understand that this set means this. Or everyone's going to think this looks cheap. They're just like, whatever. Yeah. It's going to look fun. And now I'm going to do, the, I'm going to do this thing. And uh, 
that was part of the thing too with uh when i was brought up about two of the performers being cis women is obviously at the start they have to play men <laughs> and chances are that they're that they're their shtick in life was probably as drag kings yeah which have been around for forever as well and that but then they're they have to start out that way but then they become drag queens drag drag uh female entities and that's just so much fun to me like it it didn't matter they're just like well this is who we're starting as and this is who we're ending as and this is the path we're going to take with this movie. <laughs> Did you have a favorite character in the movie? All the characters in this have such unique personalities. Like it was kind of like just watching one of your favorite shows and waiting for for your person to pop back in. Like, did you have a favorite? Um, you know, I I I really have been. I I grew to become a fan. You know, it's unfortunate that we learned that you know uh doris fish didn't really live to see uh this movie sort of come to it's like complete fruition doris fish and uh tippy who played princess angel they both passed away before the premiere Mm -hmm. and uh it's just i you know anything that doris fish does in this movie i just think is is fantastic like there's such a there's such a there's a, such a look to them, and it's a very. Uh, I was trying to think last night watching the movie, what like rock star Doris Fish looks like, but there was just something about them that just like I was just like this just like, like you just look good, and you're sassy. I appreciated that like I'm the like captain of this ship, but I'm very clueless. But like I don't know, like that. I, there's too much goodness in this movie. Yeah, there's too much, too much joy to really pin down any specific anything. Uh, one of this was awesome. One of my favorites in in the film was Empress Noodles, who uh, you're introduced to her when she's just coming in in a flying saucer, just uh-huh. and she sticks her hand like over the thing and starts waving at everybody, like just behind the prop, breaking that fourth wall and like, be like, oh, hi, hey. Yeah. (laughs) And her comedic timing in the few scenes she's in just like had me in stitches like the whole time. Um, (laughs) And then Mrs. X character, the queen veneer, the queen of police. uh, Yes. She's like evil looking like, like a Maleficent or Disney villainess (laughs) villainess <laughs> mm-hmm. and she was she is wonderful too <laughs> another another good one in there tippy's character princess angel who's like the you know the the negative version of uh of the queen veneer who's all in pastel the whole time yeah. who you're thinking <laughs> it's like okay well she's obviously the good one and <laughs> Yeah, Doris Fish is Captain Dan Tracy slash Captain Tracy Daniels. Um, <laughs> I like just looking at a picture of her. I realize it, she looks like Diane Lane. Yes, in drag, and that I think that's what kind of sells me to her. Like I'm just like, you look like Diane Lane. And I guess she did most of like the extras makeup and costuming and all the art decoration in the film, as well as like executive producing and playing the lead which i Mm -hmm. cannot imagine a bigger undertaking for this type of movie (laughs) 
<laughs> and, and keeping the director in reins, like exactly. I just uh, just looking them up on uh, Doris Fish on IMDb, and it's funny. Like this is her first full like flood filled out role, and she's been in three other things before that. A movie called Sex Wars, where she plays a cantina extra. A movie called par- or a series called Partners in Crime, where she plays the blonde. And a short film called Roller Coaster to Hell, where she plays the older artistic woman. So I feel like I've seen Sex Wars before, and that's the director of Vegas and Space. That was like a short film he did prior, um, he directed. But I feel like it was just like a Star Wars club scene. Like it, it was, I think it's like maybe 20 minutes or something. <laughs> It may be roller coaster. And ha- yeah, well, I'll double check on this. But Sex Wars looks like it's a full movie. It's an okay. eighty-minute movie, um, and Bob Vasi directed that. It's also okay. rated X. So I wonder if this is a a porn title, a porn maybe some sort. maybe Vinegar Syndrome put put it out or should put it out. <laughs> it or seems like it, it seems like something that would be up their alley. <laughs> yes, for sure. Oh no, they. Yeah, just list them for for sex wars, but so they did direct Roller Coaster to Hell. That was their short film. But what were they in Sex Wars? Oh, they were an actor in Sex Wars. They were also a Cantina extra. <laughs> <laughs> so and the director of of Vegas in Space, he has the craziest stories on the commentary of this DVD. Um, if you haven't checked it out you you should definitely just like kind of hear in the slice of life of he will start to tell all these crazy stories about the scene and he's like well actually <laughs> yeah <laughs> i can't tell you anymore um i liked it they have these crazy like dream sequences in the movie that look like just like early mtv video art oh yeah which I thought was fantastic. Like there's this dream sequence uh, where one of the characters um, for no reason, it just kind of cuts to this dream sequence out of nowhere. And, uh, and you don't quite know what was going on. And when I was watching, I was like, maybe they just ran out of story at this point, but then it turns out it's a dream sequence. But all the Queens are coming with giant pills. and They're like, take this one. It'll make you look better. Yeah. Lots of like weird (laughs) zooms and, and superimposed swirls. I appreciate, I'm glad that it's streaming very easily on something like Amazon for free, because that's always a nice way to just be like, hey, you want to watch a movie? Go here um, and watch this. Because um, I really hope it finds, continues to find an audience. I feel like this is a title that comes up every like five or so years. I know um, last year, I think it was last year, was it's like 25th anniversary and uh, Peaches Christ threw a big Vegas in space screening and party, mm-hmm. uh, which would have been pretty awesome to go to. But yeah, it seems like every so often it finds its way back into the conversation. Um, what did you think about the the music in the movie? Um, I mean, the music's fun. Like, I... I, I one great aspect of drag is, you know, is yes, we, we've become to know it as a very lip synky uh, world, but you know, we even have to just go, we only have to go so far as like RuPaul to think about the like recording aspect of drag. 
um, like comedy through through music and spoken word kind of stuff. And I, knowing that a lot of of these drag performers came out of lounge acts, basically, is what a lot of that early drag or these '80s drag was. Um, I don't know. It's all very inspiring. Like it's all such fun, such fun music, um, which just fit everything perfectly about this film. And you know, harkens back, like I said, to Barbarella, where there's definitely some songs. Forget who sings the songs in Barbarella. This dude, very loungy dude, um, where it's like singing, singing a little bit about what the movie's about, or like here's yeah. sort of like some plot points. We're gonna sing at you, and. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's a it's it's a the music's a whole other character to this movie, and that's great. One thing I thought was funny um, when I was watching, they have the big, uh, so all of the all of our heroes are supposed to be showgirls, so they have like the big show they have to perform on mm. the planet, and I was in the song, I was like, this sounds a lot like leaving on a jet plane, but it's not. And then when I was listening to the commentary, apparently it was like a compilation that they were lip syncing to of all these uh, popular at the time songs and Troma told them, um, or asked them, it's like, do you have the rights for any of this music? And they said, no. So they went back and they wrote, wrote and recorded a song. Um, and the guy who wrote the song uh, looked at the, the lips every time to write words that sort of match the lips whenever it cut to them. Uh, and then just kind of made something completely different <laughs> every other, which I've never heard of that happening in a movie before, but it's pretty, and knowing that when I went back and watched it after listening to the commentary, you can tell, but it's pretty ingenious. And <laughs> Yeah. It's like backwards lip syncing. It's like writing the song based on the lip movements of, of the performers. <laughs> Like uh, they were doing that bad lip breeding before anybody else. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the plot isn't too too serious. Basically, um, somebody has stolen the queen's jewels, and which is are the girlinium, which is causing mm-hmm. earthquakes on the planet. And it's up to our crew to find out who who done it. But yeah. it's you really just get to kind of hang out with all these fun characters for like 90 minutes. Exactly. Yeah. Like I said, so light and fluffy and not a, not a heavy lift, but when you get a walk this way joke in a, in a movie, like you have my heart right there. Yeah. And that's right out of the gate. Pretty much. Yeah. So, well, I guess before uh, we go on to the double feature part of the show, do you have any final thoughts on Vegas in space? Um, no, not really. Other than you know, a you know, thank you for inviting me to this podcast to revisit this title because um, it definitely is. Uh, I not I don't need to be reminded. You know, I should remember for myself what a what a great yeah. film this is, but it it does remind me to put it back out there into, you know, the public uh, understanding about like, hey, you know, during the pandemic, we we kind of came to we wanted content so badly to watch, and very often, you know, we found films that made us that were comfortable that you know films we'd seen a dozen times that made us feel good about watching films again. 
but yet at the same time it was like but what's out there that like i've missed and now is a perfect time while i have free time to like watch this movie and learn about it and even though we're coming out of the pandemic or whatever um i feel like people still need access to new titles yeah new, new old titles like this um to dip into because everything i think I, I i know a lot of people who you know saw watched 50 plus movies over the pandemic and they were not someone who did that amount of watching but it's like you know this can be this can be really good to just catch up on all this stuff and um if you are a fan of queer cinema in general you definitely need to have vegas in space as part of your part of your having seen films yes make sure that's on your that that's that's taken care of (laughs) (laughs) all right so it was vegas and space night at the theater what was the second movie that you picked for your double feature uh that second movie is a new film uh that has played the the film festival circuit uh recently and will be released in theaters uh very soon this september called Death Drop Gorgeous. Are you ready to have a blast? You, me, we're going out on the town. Where are you going tonight? The Outhouse's Halloween party is their biggest of the season. Oh, you didn't hear? Just a heads up, but there is a guy that's gonna meet us there at the bar. What have you got? You little slut. Help! <laughs> Get a new job. Rent's coming up. You want your job back. Tony, I'll take any shift you can give me. Tuesday! Tuesday with Gloria Hall! You're gonna be working at the same bar as Janet. Who are you? Mirror, mirror on the wall. Why even bother asking? She's so much prettier than me, it's not fair. Bitch. You can always find beauty in tragedy. I kill for your skin. Hi, yeah, O'Hara. The body count of gay men continues to rise in Providence. Four dead bodies? You think people ain't gonna talk? Whether you like it or not, it looks like we got a serial killer on our hands. People at your bar are dead, and that could have been me. We could be next. (gasps) Any more questions, detective? Watch, watch the teeth. Do me a favor. Mail that death drop. I've never done a split for an empty room. I always finish my number. Boo, it's the vampire. Um, and I picked this movie because uh, well, when I was watching the movie, I immediately thought, well, I didn't know Troma had anything to do with this movie. Like, I was like, Troma did this movie, didn't they? Or they, they produced it, right? 
and you know go back and look at it it's like nope they did not but it's just filled with that trauma-esque spirit um a spirit that also even though trauma didn't produce vegas in space like that's that's the the bread and butter of trauma which is a passion project that may take years to put together scraping every dollar um seams showing all over the place um definitely a low budget feel while you're watching it but not in a way that makes you annoyed but in a way that like really wraps its finger around your heart and gives it a little squeeze and uh death trap gorgeous is about a, a bartender who uh it moves to to a small gay berg and uh suddenly has to deal with someone killing various people around the bar and drag performers and um and who could it be who it's who is this who is this 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 person who's uh killing people in really creative uh and interesting ways and um it's just so much fun and it was kind of a group effort of directors um their production company is called monster makeup and uh they are made up of uh, at least three directors on this film were uh michael j ahern christopher dalp and brandon paris but they are also the actors in the movie those nice and the writers and there's other people who are actors who are also like did the soundtrack and did the key grip like it's just it's a production made up of, of like the actors are the are the creators and everything um and it's just so much fun and you know that these creators really got the essence of of a movie like this of a plot like that that is also kind of like light and airy it's not a dramatic yeah. lift it's it's you know someone killing people uh creatively but it's it's very gay um obviously working not just with drag performers but the the main protagonists are are gay and having gay problems um but there's there's moments in it that you know like i was saying the seams show in this movie and like there's a character who's like he runs the club and he's this really loud cigar chomping very italian stereotype (laughs) (laughs) And the actor who plays him, he, I mean, he's supposed to be a very, like, uh, Goomba-style, like, you know, fat Italian. And uh, the actor who plays him is not built that way. And it's very obvious <laughs> that under their shirt, they're wearing a pillow. Awesome. Their, like, and, you know, it doesn't take a bit away from the movie. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like I. I appreciate that you were like, you know what? We got to get these shots, and it's gonna be from the side. And well, I'll just put a pillow on. <laughs> um, and that's how we're taking care of this. Like, and that's a that's a very negligible like you know seam showing. Um, the rest of the movie, the movie does look like a million bucks, even though I don't believe it costs that much. And uh, there's just so much creativity that comes out of these these filmmakers um the whole team and i'm excited to know that they have another project that they're working on that's going in a little bit of a more serious direction um that looking at early shots from it looks like uh looks really amazing actually so um i just I, i i love i love queer film i love cheap queer film and i love 
queer cheap horror film and and i am i'm happy that death drop gorgeous is is finally going to get it's it's uh get get around to the eyes that need to see it i'm excited to see it when you uh told me about it i looked up the trailer immediately and it looks ridiculous it looks like a lot of fun (laughs) and one thing i like to do is also look and see like is there any like trauma connections like in that in the double feature just to see? And I found two. Um, one of the actresses in the movie, uh, Pippi Zanorza, um, she's in the movie Die You Zombie Bastards and Red Breakfast, which Trauma just <laughs> put out or is about to put out Die You Zombie Bastards. But the previous guest on the episode right before this directed both of those movies. So oh, nice. I was like, that's kind of fun synchronicity. And then um Timothy Five, who did the music, he also did the music for one of the Grindsploitation movies and Honky Holocaust. So, oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> See, and it works out perfectly. See, trauma is everywhere. They're everywhere. Um, for my double feature, what I uh, kind of I wanted, I just wanted more low budget, uh, pun filled space movie. So I picked the 1974 Flesh Gordon. Gentlemen, we are in big trouble. You've heard about it. You've read about it. Now, finally, you can see it. It will be a dangerous trip, and I don't know what we're likely to encounter out there. But someone has got to save the Earth from the treacherous clutches of that evil ray. Sure. Why not? We'll give it a try. Blast off with Flesh Gordon in his cosmic crusade against all evil. Witness the unbelievable, death-defying feats of that most remarkable superhero of them all, Flesh Gordon. Journey with Flesh Gordon through the dangerous outer reaches of intergalactic space as he joins forces with the mysterious Professor and the lovely Dale Arder to save the Earth from the incredible sex ray. Dale, there's no way for controls. The plane's going down. Go down, go down. Flesh Gordon. The ridiculous. My ass. The unmentionable. The preposterous. Be swept away to the dazzling heights of astonishment as you enter worlds unknown. Good. There's oxygen on this planet. Your sickness. We have captured the Earth people and await your command. The Earth people, eh? Bring them to me at once. Enjoy with flesh the bizarre pleasures of the forbidden planet. I'm Chief Nelly. I'm Prince Precious, rightful heir to the throne of porno. Ah! What is it? A boar! It's opening! Join Flesh Gordon as the crafty Emperor Wang unleashes the forces of interstellar tyranny against him in a hundred mind-boggling adventures. I just wanted to look at your tits. Flesh Gordon. Look! An outrageous parody of yesteryear's superheroes. It's the eighth one of the world. Oh, boy. 
not to be confused with the original Flash Gordon. Nice. So I, this one's like hard to track down right now. Like I couldn't find it streaming anywhere or even on any adult film sites. So I think, I think it got a DVD or Blu-ray release not too long ago, but mm-hmm. I think it might be, might be out of print or just harder to come by right now. But if you haven't seen it, um, it's about a character, Flesh Gordon, and it's almost a shot for shot parody of the, the Flash Gordon serials from the 30s. He has to go to the planet Porno to stop the evil Emperor Wang from shooting his sex ray at Earth and turning everyone into sex fiends. <laughs> they fly around in a giant uh, penis spaceship. So it's pretty awesome. Um, there's an R-rated version and then an X-rated version. So <laughs> choose at your own risk, I suppose. <laughs> Although I don't remember the X-rated version being a full-on porno, but it could have been. <laughs> I think it's just a little more adult themed. Um, And then the trauma connections I found in that one, uh, there was a ton of sex slaves in that movie who were in this trauma movie uh, that I'm going to talk about on the show called video vixens. Have you ever heard of that one? Um, Yeah, actually it's, it's fun. It's almost like a Kentucky fried movie uh, porno parody (laughs) with, without the porn. Um, Yeah. And then in Flesh Gordon, there's a lot of um, a lot of uh, special effects connections because there's a lot of weird stop motion in that movie. Um, one of the one of the special effects people who made the Penisaurus, he did the Dracula versus Frankenstein makeup. Uh, George uh-huh. Barr, um, Doug Bestwick, he uh, did special effects in Monster in the Closet. Um, one of the special effects guys, Joe Baskill, he did pyrotechnics and Chopper Chicks and Zombie Town. Uh-huh. And then um, one of the one that took me by surprise, someone worked on the one of the trauma children's movies, a puppetoon movie, uh, Michael Michael Miner, and he was an art director. Nice on that one. So, so all the trauma connections. Oh, and then there was a few actually other Vegas and space trauma connections, which were kind of funny. Um, someone in Vegas and space, uh, Jennifer Blowdryer. She was a TV anchor uh, for the KUN TV. Um, mm-hmm. She was in the trauma system, which they made like an infomercial in the yeah. 80s to get people to buy trauma movies. Um, <laughs> she's in that. And then Lisa Axelrod, who does voiceover in Vegas, she does voiceover in Tales from the Crappers. So her, her <laughs> career went downhill from Vegas in space. <laughs> well, awesome. Uh, I appreciate you coming on, Keith. And where can people find more, more out about uh, the movies you're showing or where can they follow you on the socials? Um, I am on the socials at constant watcher is usually my handle on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I am on Facebook under my name, Keith Garcia. Uh, but if you ever want to find out about any of the things we're doing, um, at the C film center or just Denver film and what we do, uh, denverfilm.org. Uh, we are a fantastic 501c3 nonprofit organization and denverfilm.org is our website where we list all this stuff, including, um, Tickets and passes for the Cinema Key Film Festival coming this August 26th to the 29th uh, on a virtual platform so you can watch all of these films in the comfort of your own home uh, is there at denverfilm.org. So go find a movie you want to see, buy a ticket, and we'll see you around then. And the Sea Film Center um, will be open later this fall. And uh, the, the 44th Denver Film Festival is coming up in November as well. And 
it's just going to be our fall is going to be filmtastic. Awesome. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Lego Larry. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Talk and Trauma. And until next time, everybody, stay traumatized. <laughs>